All right, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. So as we've kind of been coming up to this point, man, we've been seeing just Jesus do work, right? We've been seeing Jesus do some crazy things, right? So we've been kind of walking through the book of John, going through different stories, different things that Jesus is doing. We've seen him turn water into wine. We've seen him flip over the tables. We've seen him, uh, last week we talked about the, uh, we, we watched as he had this conversation with Nicodemus, uh, this incredible conversation about what it means to be born again, right? And so we pick up today after that conversation. So let's just jump right in. Uh, John chapter 3, starting in verse 22. It says, after this, after this being the conversation with Nicodemus. So after, they have the, after Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. John also was baptizing in Anon and Salim, Salim maybe, because there was plenty of water there. Uh, people were coming and being baptized. And I like that too. I like, like the reason why they were there. It just says John was there baptizing too. Why was he baptizing? Because there was water. Sometimes, like, we like to get super spiritual, you know, and, like, just overdo things. It's like sometimes God just moves, and it's, it's spiritual, but it's also practical. Can't baptize without water, I guess, so we should probably do it where there's lots of water, right? Sometimes God does practical things in your life. Don't be shocked, all right? People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison, foreshadowing. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification, so what's interesting is that, that they point this out, but this really doesn't have a whole lot to do with the text. And we don't really know what the dispute was about or why they were arguing. We just know that there's some kind of dispute about purification, maybe about why they were baptizing Jews. Like we talked a few weeks ago about how um, it was strange that they were baptizing Jews in the first place because really Gentiles, when they became Jews, they would baptize them kind of in the Jewish faith, but Jews didn't get baptized because they were already Jews. And so it was kind of interesting that they were doing it in this way. And so maybe it was about that, but we don't, we don't really know. But anyways, that had nothing to do with anything. So they came to John and told him, they being John's disciples, Rabbi, the one you testified and the one who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is flocking to him. John responded, no one can receive a single thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves testify that I am not the Messiah, but have been sent ahead of him. He who is the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. So it's, to me, it kind of struck me kind of funny, this, I guess this text, or like the placement of this text because if you think about kind of the uh, kind of the way this the book of John has been going until this point, like we've been having these huge big things happening to this point, right? Like Jesus turned the water into wine and saying, "I'm gonna you know bring in the new wineskins." Him flipping the table and saying, "I'm gonna build the new temple. I'm gonna be the new temple." Then definitely last week, whenever Nicodemus comes to him and Jesus is like, "In order to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again," and they have this whole conversation, "What is?" born again mean? What does that look like? Right? So there's this kind of revolutionary, these big earth shattering conversations, things happening. And then there's this story. It doesn't quite seem to fit, right? Like, doesn't it, to you, doesn't it seem just kind of random that John would put this in here? Like, yeah, they went and baptized some people and 
and John's disciples had some problems with it. Big deal. Let's move on to the big stuff, right? Was that like, why is that even worth pointing out, right? They just came to him, came to John the Baptist, complained about Jesus. He kind of whipped him into shape, and then you move on, right? But I think there is some important things that we can learn. Of course, I wouldn't be preaching about it if I didn't think it was important, right? I think there's some important things from this text that we can learn, mainly the heart of their complaint. And so I kind of wanted to take some time this morning and look at not so much their complaint. Hey, John, this Jesus guy, he's getting all the disciples. He's getting all the people. They're going to him. Not so much that complaint, but what's behind that complaint? What was it in the heart of John's disciples that would force them to go to John and complain about Jesus being successful in ministry? Doesn't that stand out as weird to you at all? Right? And so I want to talk a little bit about what's the heart of that complaint. And then I want to talk about what that thing does to us as Christians. How that thing affects us as Christians. And it's something that we don't really like to talk about a whole lot, but, you know, we're here, so let's talk about it. All right, so I'm just going to kind of read back through, starting in verse 26, where they come to him with the complaint, and then we're just going to kind of break it down a little bit and talk about uh, what's going on. So verse 26, it says, So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing, and everyone is flocking to him. What's interesting about this text is it's the only time in the scripture that we really see John the Baptist and Jesus doing ministry side by side. So we have them, they've kind of come together and they're both baptizing and teaching and preaching side by side, which is pretty cool. And as that happens, you see John the Baptist's disciples show show their humanity a little bit. And I think it's interesting because oftentimes, you know, we're 2,000 years behind this thing and we look back at the Bible and we look at people in the Bible and I think sometimes we put them on a pedestal, right? Like we think the disciples were perfect or we think, oh, they're great, they're perfect, they don't mess up, they don't. I think John's disciples right here are really showing their humanity a little bit. They're saying, hey, we got a problem with this Jesus dude, man. He's getting all the people, right? We want the numbers. We want all the people. Why does he have the people, right? So they're showing their humanity a little bit. And I think it's interesting because it's, it's interesting, especially the way that they said it. The one that you testified about is getting all the people going to him. Yeah, like, told you guys, he's the Messiah. <laughs> it's kind of the way this thing works, right? And so it's, it's interesting because they, may, they don't know that Jesus is going to go to the cross and die for their sins. They don't know the big story. They don't know everything that's going to happen. But what they do know is that John has said he's the big dog. He's the important one. He's the one we've been waiting for. And so even though they knew what was who he was in a sense, they still have this jealousy over his success. There's still this jealousy in their hearts. And I think that as we look at this passage, what it overwhelmingly is about, the heart of the issue here is jealousy in the hearts of John's disciples. There's other things going on, but I think it's jealousy. And so I want us to take some time today, and I want us to break down and look at a few things that jealousy does to us when we allow it to creep up in our hearts, when we let it to take root in our hearts. Um, It's a weird thing, man. Like, jealousy is a weird thing because it consumes you and it overwhelms you and it makes you think things you wouldn't. And and it it just kind of overtakes you in a way, right? 
And I would say the first thing, if you take notes, write this down. This one's really profound, okay? This is an important one, okay? The first thing jealousy does to us is it makes us stupid. I know the preacher's not supposed to say that, but jealousy makes you stupid. Yeah, that's a Facebook quote, Ryan. Put that on social media. Don't. There's this, there's this old preacher story, okay? An old preacher story about these two shopkeepers, all right? So there's these two shopkeepers, and they're like bitter rivals, and they hated each other's guts, and they, they kind of, their shops were set up across the street from each other, so, so they could always kind of keep tabs on each other and always watch each other, and, you know, uh, whenever one would get a customer, the other one would get mad or something, and then, you know, he would get like a couple customers, he's like showing off to the other guy, and they just, they spent 30 years across the street from each other, hating each other, being jealous of each other's success, and so one night, one of the shopkeepers is asleep, and this genie comes to him in a dream. It's pretty cool, right? Genie comes to him in a dream, and the genie says to him, you have one wish, and I will give you whatever you want. One wish. He said, the only thing is, with that one wish, if you, whatever you get, I'm going to give double to your enemy across the street. So if you wish to be rich, he's going to be twice as rich. If you wish for a long and healthy life, he's going to have twice as long and twice as healthy life. You get the picture, right? So he thinks for a second, and he's kind of upset because he's like, what can I do here? What can I, what can I do? He goes, oh, I got it. I know what I want. I want you to make me blind in one eye. (laughs) Y'all a little slow this morning on that one. It's that extra hour. Jealousy makes us do stupid things. This guy had the opportunity to be blessed beyond his wildest dreams And yet he was so jealous, hated his enemy across the street so much that he would rather be blind in one eye than have that guy have more success than him or have more stuff than him. Jealousy makes us stupid. It makes us do stupid things. Think about, again, I'm making fun of these guys, but think about John's disciples here, what they were saying about Jesus. Jesus was God in the flesh, the Savior of the world, the Redeemer of mankind, the one who had come to save them from their sins, to die on the cross for them, to heal them, to restore them to the relationship of, to, with God. And they come to John and are complaining because he's being successful doing it. I've come to redeem you. He's being too successful at redeeming me. I don't like this. You see this, like the stupidity in that? Jealousy makes us do stupid things, man. John responded to him. John's response. No one can receive, verse 27, no one can receive a single thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves testify that I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. No one can receive a single thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves testify that I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. I love the way that John begins his response because the first thing he essentially is saying to his disciples is everything I have comes from God. Every blessing I have comes from God. Every talent I have comes from God. Every good thing I have comes from God. And what he's doing is kind of reframing their mindset because jealousy messes up our mindset. It gets us twisted. It gets us focused on the wrong things. And so he's kind of reframing their mindsets from the beginning, almost saying, hey, you guys forget every good thing I have comes from God. 
And the thing that jealousy does to us is it makes us look at someone else and say, what I have isn't good enough. And what we're saying isn't, I need more. What we're saying is, I need more than him. Or I need more than her. Does that make sense? It's not this desire that I need more or I'm not fulfilled. It's I'm not fulfilled because this person has more than me, so I need more than them. It's not about you having your needs met. It's about having more than that other person. The thing that jealousy does to us, it raises up our pride in us and makes us say, I deserve more. You don't deserve more. I don't deserve more. Every blessing we have is a good gift from God, our Father in heaven, right? So what jealousy does, the second thing jealousy does to us is it makes us ungrateful for the gifts that God has given us. And that's a killer, man. It makes us take our eyes off of what God has given us, what God has blessed us with. Think about this for a moment. None of us in here should be jealous. At least not if we're talking in terms of like finances or material wealth, material things, right? You're like, why are you talking about? Think about this, guys. We live in the greatest state. Can I get a hello? hey A couple of you Georgia folks don't like that. We live in the greatest state of the greatest country of the greatest, I'll say world because, you know, we don't know of any other ones that have people on them yet, right? Of the greatest world in the universe. We live in the, the richest or one of the richest countries in the world where we have freedom, where we have opportunity. What have your parents been telling you since the time you were born? You can be anything you want to be, right? We have the most incredible opportunities. We are like the poorest person in this room is richer tenfold than 90% of the world. Think about that. When it comes to material wealth, what do we have to be jealous about? Like, if you guys ever, you know, heard of Compassion International where they, you know, $40 a day and you sponsor a kid in Africa? You ever heard of that? I mean, think about what that $40 provides for that kid. I mean, you're providing, like, clothes, food, school, books, like, college fund, like, health care, like, you know, Nintendo. I mean, you just go all the way down. There's, like, that $40 provides all those things for them. And I, I, like, spent $40 on candy this month. You know what I'm saying? We are so blessed. The problem is jealousy, it takes our eyes off of our blessings. That jealousy takes our eyes off of the blessings that God has given us and makes us say, God, what you've done for me isn't good enough. Do you see how that hurts us? Like the thing about, like, you're like, Mike, quit beating me up. No, I'm saying, do you see how that hurts you? Like God has been so kind to us. So jealousy makes us ungrateful for what God has given to us, the poorest among us in this room are among some of the most blessed people in the world. And if you think about, we go back to John and his disciples and what they're complaining about. Think about their gig, man. They were disciples of the guy who was the forerunner of Christ. So John's job was to go before Jesus and tell the world that Jesus was coming, and they got to be a part of that. Like that is, I mean, like if you're talking like just like Jesus jobs, that's like top 10, right? Like that's really incredible that they got to be a part of that, and they're complaining about Jesus getting too many disciples. It's crazy. Even John's disciples, what did they have to be complaining about? They had so much to be thankful for. The thing that jealousy does to us is it makes us ungrateful for what God has given us. But if we can keep our eyes on Jesus, 
if we keep our focus on Jesus and we allow him to shape our mindset, what Jesus does is he helps us to see how blessed we really are. Because if we can step back and see how blessed we really are, man, that will change, reshape everything about your mindset, everything about your thought process. If we can go from I deserve more to, man, everything I have is a blessing, that can reshape your life, man. That can reshape your life. Verse 29, he who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So John uses this cool analogy of the bride, the groom, and the, and the friend of the groom. So Jesus is the groom, the bride is the church, and he's come for his church. He's come for his bride. He's come to sacrifice, to lay down his life for his bride. And Jesus is doing this incredible thing. And what John is saying is, my job as the friend of the groom is to be rejoicing at what he's doing. My job as the friend of the groom is to be celebrating that he's getting married to his bride. That's what I should be doing, right, if we're friends of the groom. John is saying, I rejoice because of what Jesus is doing. The opposite of that is the friend who's upset because their friends get married, right? Like y'all know people, they've been the bridesmaid or their groomsmen a few too many times. And so like instead of, being, instead of celebrating like each friend that gets married, they're like, I cannot believe she's getting married before me, right? And everyone, you just keep getting more and more bitter, you know, more and more bitter. So you're just sitting there like, I, I, hate, I always hated her anyways, you know, I hope they get divorced, you know, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But y'all have experienced that, right? You've probably talked to that friend. Did any of you guys ever watch Friends? Speaking of that, it's Friends, like that 90s sitcom. So let me tell you all about one of the plots in Friends, okay? There's this one episode, uh, it's called, uh, I think it's called like Rachel Steals or Thunder or something. And the whole point, y'all already know, the whole point of the episode is Monica, she gets engaged in the episode. And so she gets engaged, and instead of being happy for Monica, Rachel's jealous. And so Rachel, Rachel and Ross have this thing going on the whole season. It's weird. You know, the whole series is like up and down. Are they together? Are they not together? We don't know, right? Right? They're on a break. He was on, they were on a break, right? So anyways, so what happens is Rachel gets jealous. She runs to Ross, starts making out with Ross. Monica finds him, gets all mad, and she starts yelling, You stole my thunder. You're a thunder stealer. Yeah, yeah. All of that came down to, they have this whole conversation where Rachel says, I did this because I was jealous, because I was, I'm worried I'm never going to get married, blah, 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 right? What that jealousy did was drove her to make out with this guy and cause this rift between her friend, right? Jealousy causes you not to be happy for the friend that's getting married, but be jealous of the friend. Don't be a Rachel, okay? Don't be a Rachel, Jealousy keeps us, the third thing that jealousy does to us is jealousy keeps us from rejoicing at God's work in other people's lives. So when God's moving in someone else's life or God is blessing someone else's life and God is at work in someone else's life, what happens is jealousy keeps us from being the friend of the groom, from rejoicing with that person, for celebrating with that person. Instead, it makes us jealous of that person. Like when you have a friend that gets blessed with a new job or new car, new house, like all these different things. And if jealousy is your first response, there's something wrong with that, right? Thomas Lindbergh said this. He said, one sign of jealousy is when it's easier to show sympathy and weep with those who weep than it is to exhibit joy and rejoice with those who rejoice. Y'all get that? Like, it's easy to be a good friend when your friend's suffering and going through a hard time, and, you know, you just want to be there. Man, I love you, man. I'm so sorry that, that you're going through this. I want to be a good friend. But then God starts blessing them, and we're like, well, I can't believe he got that, right? 
Jealousy does that to us, man. Jealousy keeps us from rejoicing at God's work and other people's lives. Man, we're Christians. We should be excited when God's moving in someone's lives. We should be pumped about that because he's moving. We're seeing him being active and working, and that's amazing. Jealousy keeps us from rejoicing at God's work. But Jesus, if we can keep our focus on Jesus, if we can keep our mindset on Jesus, let him shape our mindset. Jesus helps us to genuinely celebrate God's work in other people's lives. So the next thing John says, verse 29, 29b. I don't know if you can pull that up. This is a real short one. So this joy of mine is complete. John's talking about all these other things that are happening. He's saying what what makes his joy complete is the fact that John is fulfilling his purpose. John's purpose was he was called to be the forerunner of Jesus. So we already talked about this, but John's purpose was to come and say, tell people that Jesus was on his way. Jesus is coming. The Savior of the world is coming. Prepare the way. The Savior is coming. And so for John to be on the scene, to see Jesus officially here, baptizing, moving, on his way to defeating sin, death, the grave, What happened is that brought a sense of joy to John. That brought a sense of purpose to John. That brought a sense of completeness to John. So he's saying, my joy is complete because of all these things he's previously said. We've seen Jesus doing all of these things. The the groom is here to collect his bride. I'm excited about this. I fulfilled my purpose. My joy is complete because of that. There's nothing in life like stepping into what you know God has called you to do and nailing it right? When God calls you to something, whether that's being a friend for someone in need, whether that's providing for whatever that is, right? Whatever that looks like. When you step into what God is calling you to do and you nail it, man, there is a sense of like the good kind of pride, a sense of purpose, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of completeness. And John was feeling that, man. He's saying, what are you guys, what are you fools getting so upset about? What are you being jealous about? I'm fulfilling my purpose. And man, I, God is using me, man. That's fantastic. The thing about jealousy is that it makes you miss God's purpose for your life because you're so focused on what he's doing in other people's lives. You're so focused on other people that you can't see what he wants to do in your life, how he wants to use your life. And here's the thing. John was called to be the forerunner, right? He wasn't called to be the Christ. John, first off, wasn't God, so he couldn't fulfill the role of the Christ. But if he wanted to be Christ, he couldn't bear what Jesus had to bear. He couldn't walk in what Jesus had to walk in. He couldn't fulfill the purpose that Jesus had to fulfill. Man, John was called to something incredible. He was able to walk into something incredible. And so, man, so have you. God has called you. God has gifted you. God is using your life. Don't waste God's talents. Don't waste God's the ability he's put in your life because you're too busy looking at somebody else and being jealous of what they're doing. What a waste of the gifts that God has given you, man. Don't look at someone else and envy their purpose, man. You don't, you don't, one, you're wasting the talents God has given you because you're so focused on them. But secondly, you don't know what they're called to bear. So sometimes all you see is the outside and you see the shiny stuff because we live in a social media world and we just like to see the good, right? But you don't know what someone's having to walk in. You don't know what someone's having to carry on their, carry on their shoulders. 
right? And all of that might be a result of the purpose that God has called them to. They have to walk through some things because God's called them to this. And yet we stand back and envy it like we know what's going on. Be careful with that, man. Be careful with that. Rest in, rejoice in what God has called you to do because he's uniquely gifted you to do it. And that is a beautiful blessing and a beautiful gift from God. He has called you to do something in this life. That's awesome. He has gifted you to do something for his purpose in this life. That's awesome. Be excited about that. Rejoice in that. Rest in that. And this isn't me saying don't strive to like be better yourself or strive to accomplish more. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that jealousy keeps you from seeing the greatness that God is calling you to in your life. Jealousy keeps you from seeing what God is calling you to because you're too busy comparing yourself to other people. Jealousy keeps you, fourthly, jealousy keeps you from fulfilling God's purpose in your life. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus, if we allow him to focus our mindset, Jesus will help us thrive in what he has called you to do. And then finally, verse 30. This one's real simple. He must increase, but I must decrease. Very simply put, John understood that he wasn't the star of the show, baby. Somebody else was there. Somebody else was the star, and that wasn't him. John understood that his purpose altogether, the point of it all, was to help lift up Jesus, to help show Jesus to the world, that the world could see Jesus so that the world could find hope, the world could find salvation, the world could find Jesus. And ultimately, man, that's, that's all of our purposes as well. Like God has uniquely gifted you to do different things, but all of those things are wrapped up in one thing, lifting up Jesus so the world can see him. So the world can see his, his, how he's been active in your life, how he's changed your life, how he's used your life so that they can lift him up and glorify God. The thing that jealousy does to us, it's, it makes us think that we should be the star of the show. That's why we get upset if we get left out or we're not the center of attention or all those crazy things, right? Because pride makes me think I'm the most important. Pride makes me think I should be the center of this, right? Pride makes me think I should be the star, Jesus helps transform our desires so that we can see, well, let's transform our desires so that our desire is no longer I'm the star, but I want everything in my life to be used to lift up the true star, the only star that can save, the only star that can heal, the only star that can, that can transform life, Jesus. And so Paul says, I must decrease, meaning when you look at me, I just want to back away and re- redirect your, your gaze to the one who deserves it, Jesus. Jealousy makes us, makes us think we're the star, man. Jesus transforms our desire to, make, to want to make him the star of the show. And then finally, I'm, I just want to add this, kind of the overarching theme of this as we kind of are closing out. The final thing that jealousy does to us is it makes us miss Jesus. Think about this. We have John's disciples here on the scene hanging out with, watching the Savior of the world, baptizing, preaching, teaching. All of these incredible things are happening, and they are, they are eyewitnesses to it. They're sitting there watching it. They're, they're next to him. They can touch him. They can feel him. They can talk to him. And you know what they're doing? Their jealousy 
has made them miss the point that they have life standing in front of them, the creator of the world standing in front of them, and they're mad because he's being too successful at ministry. They're standing there going, well, we want the disciples. We want the people to flock to us. How tragic is that that story? That they have the savior of the world standing in front of them and they miss him because they're too jealousy, excuse me, they're too jealous of him. Isn't that crazy? Our jealousy makes us miss Jesus in our lives. Man, I don't want you to miss Jesus in your life. I'm hoping that John just slapped him full of silly and straightened him out. Life, people. God. And I, I know I joke slap him. The reason I think slap because it's, it's kind of a refocus, right? Okay, I'm good now, right? Sometimes jealousy creeps up in our hearts. Sometimes jealousy creeps up in our lives. And what we need is a reshaping of our focus, right? And that's what happens when we take our, fo- take our focus off of jealousy and put it on Jesus. Jealousy makes us stupid. <laughs> jealousy makes us ungrateful for the blessings that God has given us in our lives. Jealousy keeps us from celebrating God's work in other people's lives. Jealousy makes us miss our purpose. And jealousy keeps us thinking that we're the star. And ultimately, jealousy makes us miss Jesus. Don't let jealousy run your life. Don't let jealousy consume your life. Let Jesus run jealousy out of your life. Keep your gaze on him. Keep your focus on him. And let him just break you of that, man. Let him break you of that. And I know that that's maybe oversimplification today. But I think that jealousy is just a struggle of human nature. I think no matter who you are, if you're, you know, Bill Gates, you're jealous of somebody, which is stupid, right? But it's just the way it is. And what we need is for God to break us of that so that we can truly live in what God has for us. So that we can truly rejoice with those who rejoice. So that we can truly thrive in God's purpose for your life. So that we can truly make him the star of the show. Because sometimes jealousy takes us over and we, we want to point to him, but we're like, you know, wanting to be the star. So like that's even why we point to him. So people will look at us, right? It's dangerous. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to end closing worship because of all the things God has blessed us with. We're going to worship him, but I want to, I want to just leave this with you, man. If jealousy is something that has kind of wrecked you recently or something that's on you recently, I want to just encourage you today to let God beat that in your life. Let Jesus just maybe slap you and get it out of you a little bit, right? And so if you need to pray, man, there's going to be people with the lanyards hanging out and you go pray with them. But if you just want to sit in your seat and pray and ask God to heal you, that work on that in your life to challenge you in that area, man, I just encourage you to step into that and and do that. Don't let jealousy run your life. Let Jesus run jealousy out of your life. Keep your gaze on him, okay? I'm going to pray and let's, let's do that. Father, I love you. Thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for all of the blessings that you give us, God. I think one of the worst things that jealousy does to us is makes us ungrateful for how much you've blessed us, God. There's not a single man or woman or child in this place today that is not extremely blessed by you, Father. The fact that we have air in our lungs makes us blessed. And so, God, I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would run the jealousy out of our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would run it out of my heart. Lord, it's, 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 it's human. Lord, I struggle with that at times. Father, beat that out of me, God, if you got to. Whatever it takes, Jesus. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.